Good morning. Welcome. It's so good to see you all this morning. My name is Matt. I'm uh, the lead pastor here at Mission View Church. Uh, if this is your first time here, welcome. We're so glad you joined us for worship this morning. All right. We are getting ready to start a new sermon series today in the book of 1 Corinthians. Go ahead. If you have your Bibles, you can open up to 1 Corinthians. So excited about this series. Excited to preach through the book of 1 Corinthians. So many really, really good things uh, in this book. Uh, before we jump into that, though, I wanted just to give a brief update on what's going on with the building that we own on Maple Street. Um, if you didn't know, uh, we have a building that um, we're working on to renovate. It's, um, if you go out to Maple and head down towards the Strip area, it's on Maple uh, right by Price Park. But anyways, um, we've been working with an architectural firm and a building company um, more specifically, we've been spending time with the architectural firm. We've been working for weeks on um, a final plan of utilizing every square inch of this building the best way possible for God's kingdom and, and for the church. So uh, we finally have arrived at a final building plan for our new building. So that was a long process with lots of edits and different things going on, but we have what we feel uh, God has led us to in the building and what it's going to look like. Um, I don't know if you remember, but we had some uh, preliminary renderings that we showed. Um, does anybody remember those that we showed, the preliminary renderings? Um, we've been told by Sawyer's Day, with all the edits that we've made, that what you saw uh, when we did those renderings is what it's going to look like. So that's exciting to know that, you know, even through all the, the editing and, and different things that we've done, um, it's going to really look really closely to what they had showed us originally. So that's exciting. But I, w I just wanted to fill you in, let you know what the process is looking like. And um, from this step forward, we kind of, these are our plans, but they're not the construction plans. Over the next 30 to 60 days, the architectural firm takes these plans and then converts them into these massive building construction plans that are, you know, 200, 300 pages thick. And, and it's really how the builder goes and builds the building. So that's going to be happening over the next couple of months. Also, we'll be meeting with the construction company and the architectural company together and working through the, the cost of each piece of this building. And, and uh, we're going to try and work it down into a workable number for Mission View Church moving forward so that we can um, build or renovate out this building um, in the near future. So really exciting. What I, I'm sharing all this just to update you on what's going on, but also that you would be partnering with us in prayer. This is a huge step for us, and, and uh, we're really excited to have a tool like a building to be in our community and reaching out to our community and, and around the world from this place. But we, we want to move forward with the wisdom of God, not the wisdom of man. So I would just ask that you would pray with us as the building team takes time to pray over this and meet with uh, the construction company, the architectural firm, just that God would guide every step of this, that we would surrender our will to his and that he would have his way um, as we move forward in this. So please be in prayer for us with that. All right. Now, um, this uh, new series, uh, Paul's writing this letter to the church in Corinth. Corinth was this this city by the sea, and it was a, a waterway where you had people from all over would be coming through Corinth. 
Corinth. It was a, a melting pod of people, all, all different kinds of people, different religions you know, would come in this. It was a collage, if you will, of spiritualities. You know, it was this, this just melting pot of, of mess, spiritual mess. So when, you know, the church was planted and the gospel was preached and God started moving on the hearts of people and they were coming to Christ, what happened was as the church of Corinth grew, these people with, with pagan ritualistic backgrounds were bringing these spiritualities into the church. And it was a hot mess. I mean, it was, it was awful. There was all types of, and we'll talk through it as we go through the book, but all types of horrendous sin, sexual sin, and, and suing one another. And there was all this, this, this arguing about how church should work and how our spirituality should work itself out. And they were just a mess. I mean, it was a total and complete mess. So what we're going to be looking at is how Paul addresses this. And we're going to be looking at verses, uh, chapter 1, verses 1 through 9. And what Paul's going to do for us today is he's going to lay a foundation on which the rest of this letter kind of sits. He's going to tell the church in Corinth, and he's going to tell us who we are. He's gonna, then he's going to tell them how they became who they are. And then he's going to tell them, how they sustain who they are. Now, how many people here know who you are? Anybody? Do you know who you are? All right? You're like, my name's Matt, you know, I'm a pastor, or you're a banker, or you're, you may be a doctor, or, you know, that's, that's, what, that's what we say we are, right? Yeah, I'm a, I'm a husband. I'm a dad. Or, or I'm a doctor, banker, or teacher, or whatever it may be, right? That's who you are. What you're going to find out today, that, that is not who you are. That is not who you are. And, and that's really what is happening as I can, I can imagine, you know, as they open up this book or this letter that Paul writes to the church and they're reading this to the church and they're going, oh, okay, that, I thought I was a tent maker. I, I thought that I, you know, sold oils and dyes. I thought I was an entrepreneur. I thought I was this. But, but what you're saying, Paul, through this letter to us is that there's a lot more to who I am. There's a lot more to who we are. And that's really what Paul's going to get into. I'm really excited about this text. It is so encouraging when we talk about Christian identity. Really, all of life lived out is, is lived out through what, what I believe, what you believe about who you are and who God is and who God says that you are. So oftentimes in life, we base who we are off of what we do or what mom and dad told us about ourselves, or what maybe teachers have told us about ourselves, or maybe what coaches have told us about ourselves. Maybe our boss, you know, he says, this is who you are. Maybe even had you take a personality test, and you're like, I'm an INTJ, Matt. That's who I am. That's my box. That's where I'm at. And really what we find out through Scripture is that when we give our lives to Christ, when we, when we surrender our will to His we become his. And that has permanent and lasting and forever and eternal consequences. Great consequences for you and me. Let's pray before we jump into 1 Corinthians. Dear Heavenly Father, I surrender to you right now. God, I pray that you would give me the words to share. And the passion that Paul writes this letter, God, I just pray that it would come through. The joys and the sacrifice and 
just the calling to righteousness, Father. We, we want to run to you. We want to run to righteousness. We want to be used by you, oh God. Like the church in Corinth, we come to you broken. We don't have everything right. We come to you asking for more. We come to you in desperation and longing because we know that, that we have so much more to do and that you're not done with us. So come and have your way as we read your word. Let it change us and grow us and sanctify us. Set us apart for you, O oh God. We give you this time. Holy Spirit, have your way in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, I'm, I'm going to give us a little bit of background as I actually talk through the text here. So if you're in 1 Corinthians, follow along with me as we go. Paul called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus. I'm going to stop there real quick. Paul is reassuring the church in Corinth as he's reassuring me and you today that as he's writing this, he has apostolic authority from God. As, as we look at the canon or our Bible today, the books that are in here are written with authority. They are breathed out, written by human hands, but breathed out by God onto the pages of this book. We believe that this book is more than just a book or more than just a collection of 66 books. This is the very God-breathed word from heaven on high. He used men to write it, but he breathed it out of their pens onto the page. And Paul is saying, listen, I am one of the called. I am one of the apostles called by God. This comes with authority. This is God's authority delegated to Paul. We see this in Acts 1, 21 and 22, those apostolic requirements. He goes on and he says, and our brother Sothenes, everybody say Sothenes. Isn't that a fun one? I, there, you go through scripture, you get all kinds of weird names, right? Sosthenes, what a weird name. Now, this guy was probably a leader of the synagogue that the, the Jews beat up because he found Jesus, right? So this is, this is who this guy is. And Paul mentions him for good reason because he's a leader in the church. He goes on to say, to the church of God that is in Corinth. Now, this is an important word here, this ecclesia for the church or kahal in Hebrew, this is not just a word for Corinth, but the church as a whole, for the, the worldwide church. To those sanctified, he says. That word sanctified, your translation may have holy, or saints, or consecrated. It means to be separated out, set apart by God for God. That's who we are. In Christ Jesus, called to be saints. Now, it's interesting that this word saints never appears in the singular in the New Testament except one time in Philippians when it pertains to all the people of God. To be saved is to be called to be a part of the family of God. Think about that. That word saints never in the singular except for one time. When God talks about the church, when he talks about the saints, he is talking about a group of people. You and I were created to live life and do life together. We can't escape it. 
We can't run, well, we can run from it, but it will always come back to this, that God created us to be a family. Isn't that good news? You are never alone. If if you've given your life to Christ, you're a part of the church universal, you are never alone. And that is great news. And it's terrifying, right? Because we are all human, right? And we all make mistakes. We say things that we shouldn't say. We do things that we shouldn't do. And we hurt each other. We hurt each other. That's one of the most difficult things about doing life together, about being the church, the ecclesia or kahal, the Hebrew word. Strong words, if we look back at those, strong words, that we are meant to live life together no matter what. The struggles, the ups and the downs. You know what that means? It means that we actually have to live out the gospel for and with one another. That as, as I make mistakes and I say things I shouldn't, and as you make mistakes and say or do things that you shouldn't, that, that we are required, like a family, to extend forgiveness, to ask for forgiveness and extend forgiveness. This repentance and forgiveness thing that you hear me talk about all the time, that, that Christian practice. This Christian life isn't easy because we as humans make mistakes, and it's hard. But that's who God has called us to be, and that's what Paul's reminding us of. We have to do life together. Saints, always plural, except for one time. He goes on, he says, together with all those who in every place call upon the name of the Lord, Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus. That in every way you were enriched in him, in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end. Man, I underlined that, highlighted, I got stars all around it in my Bible. Who will sustain you to the end? That's good news, baby. Guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ, God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. All right, that's where we're stopping. This is, this is Paul's like foundation. This is the structure on which everything else is. And the first thing I want to point out to you is in verse 2, and it's this. We are called to be sanctified saints with all the church around the world. Let's read it again real quick. To the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and our Lord. This means that if you are here, if you're watching online, if you are breathing, God is not done with you yet. God is not done with you yet. But there's more to the story than that. As we look at this, theologians have worked their way through this text because there's a rich, rich truth that we have to wrap our minds around that is really, really good. It answers a really hard question that we'll get to in a second, if I remember. (laughs) But it's this. This is the theological idea of what we've just read. We are, right now, you are what is called positionally sanctified. You are sanctified. When God, when you give your life to Jesus, when you surrender to him, 
You are sanctified, holy, saint, set apart by God for God. In his eyes, when he looks down at you, he sees you covered in the blood of his son, Jesus Christ. Perfect, set aside for him. You are positionally right with God in relationship with him. That is amazing, awesome truth. But there's another truth. And that is that we are being progressively sanctified. Positional sanctification and progressive sanctification. The first aspect of our sanctification occurs at the beginning of our journey through the Christian life and continues forever. All Christians are called holy. Do you feel holy? Do you feel holy? I don't. I'm just going to be honest with you. I don't. I have thoughts that go through my mind. I, I, I drive through traffic and get frustrated with people who drive really slow or turn in front of me, and I think things I shouldn't. I struggle. I struggle with different things. I struggle, you know, my moods go up and down. I'm kind of moody sometimes. There's things in me that I'm frustrated with that I'm, I'm like, you know, I, I read this and I, I believe it, I just did it, but sometimes my life doesn't line up to it right. I don't feel holy. I don't feel perfect, but in God's eyes, we are covered in the blood of his son. You are holy. That is good news. This positional, declarative, definitive sanctification, this, this shocking biblical truth means that we have undergone a change of relationship from enemies of God to his friends, to his child, and that we are now part of God's peculiar people, says in his word, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you might proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light in 1 Peter 2.9. In this way, Christians are a new creation, which Paul goes on in 2 Corinthians 5.17 to say again. Now we are able to believe, to repent, to love God, to love God's people, and to love the world that's in desperate need of a Savior that lives in us, His Holy Spirit. Now we are able to hunger and thirst for God. Now we are able to loathe sin and fight the good fight against it in temptation because the Holy Spirit lives in us. This first aspect of our sanctification leads naturally into the second, which is this idea of progressive sanctification, that we are progressively being changed and molded and made right in God's eyes. He is chipping off those hard edges. He is working out his will and righteousness in us. Not all we experience as Christians is instantaneous. This progressive or unfolding aspect to our Christian life, we, by God's grace, must continue the journey of sanctification day by day. In addition to being called holy, Christians are also becoming holy. God's standard for our progressive Christian lives is clear. He says in his word, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy 
in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. That's in 1 Peter 1, 14 through 16. Old Testament Israel, God's chosen people, received the law of God on a stone from Mount Sinai. What better place to find the Lord's standard for proper Christian living than in the Ten Commandments carved with his own finger? What glorious truths that the moment that we meet our Savior, we are set aside. We are set in right relationship with him. But more than that, he continues to walk with us, work with us through this hard, difficult life, using all these difficult things that we go through for his kingdom and his glory and for our good. This is the Christian journey. We are saints, being made saints, positionally right and justified, pure and righteous, covered in the blood of Christ, and we are continually being made right through the loving work of God. This is why Paul, the guy who wrote like two-thirds of the New Testament, can say, honestly, I am the chief of sinners, but be called an apostle by Christ to the Gentiles with a delegated authority to lead, correct, admonish, and encourage the church. Christians, this is, one of the, this is one of the most true statements we can make. Christians aren't just good people. They are primarily and foundationally forgiven people. That's one of the biggest complaints. This is the question I, I, I believe this text answers, that hard question or statement, I should say, that most people would make. The church is just full of hypocrites. Anybody ever heard that one? I hear it all the time. As I invite people to church and talk to them about church that don't know Jesus yet, oh, they're just a bunch of hypocrites. You guys are a bunch of hypocrites. They don't understand this amazing work of God. This positional change in relationship with God because of the grace and mercy he's given us in his son, Jesus Christ. They don't understand that the Christian life isn't just this instantaneous thing that happens, but it's this journey that God leads us on for the rest of our lives. The recognition of that forgiveness that we have inspires us to pursue what God says is good. And that's one of the most amazing things about the gospel the gospel isn't a list of laws. The gospel is a proclamation of good news. And when God moves on our hearts and reveals that good news to us, there is a new motivation that takes root in our hearts, and it's a motivation towards righteousness. It's a motivation towards obedience. It's a motivation towards love. An amazing truth we find here in 1 Corinthians. The second thing I want to point out about these nine verses, number two in your notes is this, the gospel is our firm foundation. We see it in verse four through seven. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you are enriched in him, in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ what is the testimony about Christ? It's the good news about Christ was confirmed among you so that you are not lacking in any gift. 
the knowledge of the gospel, his testimony means that we are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. I love that. You might want to underline it. As the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you. This means we all need a Savior. Every single one of us. Some of you sitting here today have found that Savior and you're living in relationship with Him. Some of you haven't. You haven't made that choice. You haven't, haven't seen that the amazing work of Christ on the cross. It, it looks like this. I was lost in sin. There was no part of me that wanted a Savior. In fact, if you were to ask me, I would tell you I, there was nothing I needed saved from. But one day in my life, God brought this little short older man into my life. And he told me this story about a broken people and this loving, gracious Savior. And I don't know what it was. I had heard the story of Jesus my entire life. But sitting here listening to this little man tell me this story, God began to do something in my heart. It was a work that I didn't understand. And all of a sudden, this idea of, of some Jesus that lived hundreds and hundreds of years ago that really had nothing to do with Matt's life and how he died on the cross for really bad people like murderers and adulterers and, and just those really bad people. God revealed that he died for me and that I, I had sin in my life. There were things I had done and things I had said that were horrific. There were thought patterns in my life that were so unhealthy and, and sinful. And the Bible says that, that God takes a heart of stone and makes it and, and plants a heart of flesh that is soft and responsive to the good news of Jesus Christ. Maybe you don't know Jesus today. He loves you. He has a plan for your life. And he left paradise, the very place that you and I long to go to, he left paradise, put on flesh as a man, and lived a perfect life that we can't live. And then he died a sinner's death that you and I deserve. He was beaten. It says he was unrecognizable. He was beaten so badly. And then he hung on a cross, the worst death, the most humiliating death, naked on a cross for all to see. That's a sinner's death. And he did that for you and me. He rose the third day, defeating death and sin for you and me. And now, by grace through faith in Christ alone, can we come into this right relationship? That is the gospel. That is what we have as Christians and what we hold on to and what we cling to as Christians. And it's not just for salvation. It is for salvation, but there's more than that. It's the first point that we talked about, that God's not done with us at salvation. It's this glorious revelation of the amazing grace of God in the person of Jesus Christ, but it continues because it motivates us. 
I don't do good things because I follow a list of rules. I do good things because a good, amazing, perfect God saved me through the gift of his son. And that propels me and moves me and motivates me to love you and love my neighbor and and obey what God has for me. Because I'm convinced that this man who died for me knows what's best for me. And I lay down my will and I lay down what I know, and I say, God, change me. God, work in me. The gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ doesn't just save us, but it propels us in our sanctification and what he's doing. How has the good news of Jesus changed you? How has it changed you? Think back. Think back to maybe that time that you met Christ. Who here can look back at their life and say, God has changed me amazingly? Anybody? What you see here today, all those hands that were raised, if you're online, you didn't get to see that, but over 100 hands went up in this room. That is a testimony to the work and miraculous power of Jesus Christ. That is the changing work of Jesus Christ. And that is our testimony. You know, when we talk about our testimony, it's not all the bad things and how terrible I was. That's not the highlights, people. (laughs) Is it? The highlights is there's a gracious God who meets you. And it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter where he met you. You may be one of those kids who grew up in a Christian home. You went to a second grade chapel service at the Christian school and gave your life to Jesus. That is just a powerful, just as powerful of a testimony of God working in your life as to someone who was in drug addiction for 25 years. And someone came to them on the streets, shared the gospel, and they were instantly set free from addiction. It's not about what we've done. It's about what he's done. He's the star. He is the star of our testimony. And we lift him up and we glorify him and we praise him. We have to start telling our story. It doesn't matter what your story is because all of our stories line up in one person, Jesus Christ. Your story is meant to change someone else. It's meant to impact someone else. Tell your story. What or how has the good news about Jesus changed you? All right, the last filling in your notes, the last thing I'm going to talk about is this. Number three, it is God who sustains us to the end. This is the one I have circled, underlined, highlighted, and stars all around in my Bible. We see it in verses eight and nine. He, he says, actually says, who, who will sustain you to the end. Not only sustain you, but he sustains you guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom you were called. Who called you? God called you into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ. Paul's Paul's painting this. I don't know if you're following this, but Paul's painting an amazing picture of the power of God in our lives. Who are we? We We are children of God. How do we become children of God? It's this miraculous, powerful work of God through what Jesus did. 
And we work, and, and God, through the Holy Spirit, works and changes us. In his, we're sanctified positionally. We're being progressively sanctified as we go along. So he saves us. He progressively changes us. And then he sustains us, guiltless to the end. That's the best news I can share with you today. Think about this. It's not on you. It's not on me. Because he is the one who will sustain us guiltless. I don't know if you just heard what I said. God is the sustainer. Guiltless, you will be sustained. You, guiltless in God's eyes because he does it. Not because you're amazing. Not because you're awesome. Not because you're worth it or there's something in you that merits it. It is simply and grace and mercy from God. There's nothing you can do to earn it. There's nothing you've done to merit it. God just looks down and calls you, chooses you, and loves you, and changes you, and sustains you, and takes you all the way guiltless because that's who he is. He loves you. How many, yeah, Amen, right? Aren't you glad it doesn't rest on your shoulders? I don't know about you, but like, I'm like amening a million times in my heart because if it rested on my shoulders, it would blow up because I'm a loser. Maybe I'm the only one that feels this way. I would mess this up. I'm not lying. I would totally mess this up. And you would too. We all would. But God, being gracious and merciful, says, I am not going to leave you on your own. I'm not going to leave you on your own. I'm not going to leave you to your own devices. I know the struggle because I came down and I put on flesh. I know the struggle. I know the temptation. Jesus was tempted. He knows temptation. He knows the struggle. And he says, I'm going to walk with you through it the whole way. From beginning to the middle, to the end, to the ups, to the downs, to your failures, to your victories, to the to amazing things that I'm going to do. And, and those things that you can't survive through, I'm going to make you survive through those things. I'm going to strengthen you in ways you never knew it. I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you a peace that surpasses human understanding and, and work things that only creator God can work in you. This is the foundation for this letter. We can't, as we go through this book of 1 Corinthians over the next weeks, we can't forget this. We can't forget who we are. Because when we forget who we are, who God says we are, and all that stuff I just talked about, we, we really mess things up. And that's why Paul starts out this letter this way. Now, as we go through this first probably six chapters the primary thing that Paul's going to be addressing is unity. And this is what unifies us. Today's sermon. It is the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ that unifies us. It keeps us humble because all of us were saved by grace through faith in Christ Jesus, not by what we've done, but by the mercies of God. So none of us can speak down to one another. We do sometimes, and that's sinful, and we should repent. 
but he's leveling the playing field. He's saying, this is who you are, this is how you became who you are, and this is what will sustain who you are through the end, the work of amazing God. And we're gonna get into all types of, of unity in the church as we go through these chapters, so I'm really excited about that, especially in this time of divisiveness, right? What a, what a timely time to go through 1 Corinthians. I planned this months ago, six months ago, and it just so happens to be at a time where unity in the church is desperately needed. So I'm excited to jump into that next weekend. Just to warn you, though, just to warn you, um, 1 Corinthians starts out really awesome. God's awesome. And he loves you, and it's really good. And he's, like, building us up, and Paul's, you know, telling us who we are. The rest of the book is a whooping. Not going to lie. <laughs> so we're going to go through this, and, and, and Paul's going to make some things real clear real clear for us. So just a warning. It's going to be really good. You know how God works it. He works it through his Holy Spirit who brings a sweet conviction, not condemnation, but a sweet conviction as we move forward in unity. Amen. Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the good news of Jesus Christ. Lord, every single one of us, every single one of us did nothing to merit this kind of grace, this kind of mercy. We humbly bow before you now. As we, over the next few weeks, open up this book, this letter to the church in Corinth, God, I pray that the truths of your word would take root deep in our hearts, that you would unify us around the good news of Jesus. God, that we would not make mountains out of molehills, but we would find things that, that you call us to, your righteousness, your truth, and we would make those the hills, the mountains we stand on, we stand firm on. Draw us closer to you, Father. And Lord, I just pray as we've looked at the gospel today, this saving grace and this sanctifying grace, this good news of Jesus, God, reignite that early passion that we had. Reignite that, that amazing revelation of who you are, what you've done, who we are, and what we do now by the power of your Spirit. We surrender to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand as we sing our closing song today.